anything that will turn the focus away from you be stripped off. And that all hearts, all minds will be focused on your word, focused on you, your life, and everything that you have proposed to give each and every individual here today. That no one will live lacking the substance of faith that you produce through your word. And that every eye will be open to clearly see the fullness of the truth that is within your word. Father, that we may never lack that which you have desired for us to have. We ask, O oh Lord, that our hearts will be fertile soil for the planting of the seed of your word. And we thank you, Father, for what you have done, what you are doing and are going to do. We are appreciative, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. 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 If you believe that you are here solely by the grace of God. Someone shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Someone shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We give God all the glory for his grace that he has lavished on us. And we bless his name because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the word of God makes us to understand that if it were not for his mercies, you and I would have been consumed. But his mercies are new every morning. And that is why we have confidence to approach his throne. Because of his enduring mercies for you and I. Someone shout and say, Lord, it is because of your grace that I am here today. And I give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. By God's special grace, I am going to be sharing the word called the testimony of God. Testimony of God. We are starting a new series based on the theme of the year, which is obtaining a good testimony. Someone, if you believe that you are obtaining a good testimony, turn to your neighbor and say, I am obtaining a good testimony. I am obtaining a good testimony. If you believe it, shout it. I am obtaining a good testimony. Amen. Um, can we all open our scriptures to Psalm 19? Psalm 19. And we'll be reading from verses 7. Um, before you read, just turn to your neighbor and say, you are welcome into the house of the Lord. I can see over you the glory of God. Come on now. Tell them, I can see over you the glory of God. Say it excitedly like you are happy to see them. Amen. Amen. Um, before we start, I, I want to honor our pastor. Um, I want to honor our elders, leaders. God richly bless you. And I also want to honor you for taking the time out to come here today to receive the word of God. It is our prayer that even as you are here receiving that word, that it would prosper in your heart and prosper in your minds, that you will become fruitful, fruitful vines in his vineyard. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Psalm 19. If you are there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. So let's read it together. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. 
The commandment of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, than honey dripping from the comb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. Amen. Amen. As I said earlier, we're going to be sharing the word on the testimony of God. The testimony of God. And the first thing you want to ask yourself is what is testimony? What is a testimony? Now, when you think about a testimony, you are practically thinking about a witness. When someone comes and shares a witness about something, they are testifying about something that either had occurred to them or something that has occurred. So, a testimony is practically a witness. They are sharing a witness about something that you have experienced. So if I am coming to share a testimony, I'm coming to give you a good news about something that has happened or something I have seen happen. So when you are talking about a witness or a testimony, you are actually talking about two types of witness. You are talking about someone that has been an eyewitness in that scenario. So in other words, if something has happened, someone experienced something, because they were involved, they were eyewitnesses. So they have the ability to tell you exactly what has occurred. So they act as eyewitnesses. And the other type of witness you might have is someone that is an expert witness. Now, if you go into a court of law and you are trying to understand a particular situation, you might have a need to bring an expert witness to break down the details based on the evidences that they are seeing or based on the character of the situation. So an expert witness will be brought onto the stage. That expert witness might be a medical personnel if it has any relationship to do with a medical situation, or a psychologist if they are trying to understand the psychology of the behavior of the person involved in that situation. It could be many things, depending on what is required from that situation or case. So you could have an expert witness or an eyewitness. But this is just so that testimony, the right testimony, the full view of that testimony might be made known. Amen. So when we are talking about the testimony of God, you are talking about God being an eyewitness and God being an expert witness. And of course, how many of us know that there's no one with more expertise than God in any area? So when God says something, you can take it to the bank and say it is right. When God decrees a thing about a situation, you can take it home and say it is exactly as it is. The testimony of God. The witness of God. The expertise of God made known. Amen. So the first question you ask yourself is this. Does God testify? Does God witness? And you'd find out in the scriptures that the scriptures are filled with instances where God gives a testimony where he says specific things 
about specific people or whether he says specific things about specific situations or he says specific things about creation. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but I'll just give a few examples. Now, in the expert witness of creation, if we open to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, And verse 1. And we read. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now we see here that in verse 4, he says this, And God saw the light that it was good. So his testimony of light was that light is good. Do you see there that <laughs> there was darkness and he did not call darkness good? He created the light. He saw the light and then he said it is good. So when God gives a testimony about something and you do not hear the same testimony about the other thing, recognize that God is practically trying to say something. So when God speaks in creation, and you'd see consistently in the book that God kept making advancements in creation, advancements in creation, advancements in creation, and he kept saying, it is good. On the first day, he said, it is good. The second day, he said, it is good. The third day, he said, it is good two times. <laughs> of course, um, just on a side note, uh, you... The, um, theologians will tell you that that is the reason why the third day Jews prefer to get married on that day on Tuesdays, on the third day I mean if you even go through the book of John you say on the third day Jesus went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee and even <laughs> people who study creation and study things tell you that the third day is the most productive day of the week, right? Because it is the double blessed day he said, it is good twice. But what I'm trying to bring out here is, when God gives a testimony, you can take it home and say, this is right. This is as it is. Another example would be God's witness of angels. God's witness of angels. If we open to Ezekiel chapter 28 from verses 12 to 15. Ezekiel chapter 28 from verses 12 to 15. You see here God is giving witness about a specific angel. He's giving witness about a specific angel. He says, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So you see here that God is saying, he made something that was perfect in beauty. 
Now, this was God's witness. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So he's practically telling you the construction of an angel. Now, this is where people take these descriptions and will tell you that Lucifer was the leader of the choir in heaven. That's a lie. This is just a description of the man, of the angel, sorry, of the angel. You were the anointed, you see, this is his function here. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until what? Iniquity was found in you. So when God made something, when God created this particular angel, which was called Lucifer, he made him in perfection. There was nothing wrong with what he did. You see, when God does a thing, it is perfectly perfect. Because that is his nature. What proceeds from him is in perfection, utter perfection. It can never be broken. So when God made the earth, his plan for the earth was perfection. His desire for you and I was perfection. Until something went wrong in a specific creation that he made that was utterly perfect. You see, God's witness for you and I, being an expert in creation, being an expert in whatever he does, is that whatever proceeds from him would always take the nature of who he is. His desire for you and I is that we would function in that nature. Perfection. Please, are we getting what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. Now, let us see God's witness of man. Now, God's witness of this man You see two types of witnesses in this scripture. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. And we're going to be reading to verse 8. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 to verse 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created, from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made man. When God saw the depravity that man could steep to, when God saw the depths of wickedness that the heart of man was able of conceiving, he began to regret because this is totally a departure from who he is, a departure from his holiness, a departure from what he saw when he created man, when he made Adam, when he made all things. He said, this is not what I did. This is not me. And so he was sorry. 
I know there are many people, I know in this time and age, we live in a world where we say, if God is alive, why is this happening? Why are there wars? Why, are there, why, is there, why is there famine? Why are people going through difficulties in their health? Why? Is it that God is just looking? God agrees with you. It is not what he intended. It was, it's not God's idea. So he himself was sorry that he had made man. Because when he looked at his plan, when he looked at what was occurring, there was a departure. But let us look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The testimony is this, that even though there is utter wickedness, there are departures from the original plan. There are always instances where there is alignment. Now, the responsibility for you and I is that we would be in that position where there is always alignment with God's original intent. That there will be alignment in our posture towards the word of God. In our appetites towards the word of God. In our desires toward what God has decreed. Once that is firmly rooted in our heart, what will happen? Our testimony would be that which Noah received. But Noah received and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In every generation, there are always exemptions to the broad testimony that is seen. Always exemptions. Let us look at Job. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Job chapter 2, verse 3. You see the exact same testimony. Have you seen my servant Job? See God's testimony of a man. Have you seen Job? Can God say that about me? Can God say that about you? Have you seen my servant James? Have you seen my servant have you seen them? Have you seen my servants in the Shepherd's House Worship Center? Have you seen them? How they keep themselves from evil. They keep their lips. They keep their tongues. They keep their minds consecrated unto the word. Can that be our testimony? Can that be my testimony? Can that be your testimony? Ask that question firmly. See what he says about Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, from verses 17 to 18. We are still talking about God's witness, the witness of God, the testimony of God. He says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham, what I am doing. See, God came to the earth and then he was walking the earth. He was about to go to Sodom. But then he sees, he, he comes through the path where Abraham, where Abraham is. And then he says, can I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? 
Can God say that about you and I? Can I hide what I'm about to do in the lives of those that we are close to? Can I hide it from you? Abraham had a witness with God. He was both a prophet and a priest. Look at what he says. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Abraham had gotten stature with God. He had increased his worth before the presence of God. And God said, he is so valuable that I will not go to Sodom to enact what I'm supposed to enact before without telling Abraham. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to wake up. You and I have to wake up. Christianity is not a confession. It is a profession. A confession is what you say. A profession is what you do. I know a lot of us will take... I'm trying to reduce my... I'm about to say something that probably would upset people. But a lot of people... We say things that... Touch your neighbor and say, please wake up. You see, Christianity is not an excuse for us to do whatever we want. It is not an excuse for you to say, after all, I am born again. After all, I am saved. After all, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I can just do this and go. You see, there is something about sowing seeds. The things that you do, they are seeds that are planted. And you would always reap the reward. You know, the Bible talks about the wages of sin. You know, when you do something that is called sin, you would get a payment that you ask for forgiveness. It's okay. He will forgive you, but that payment. You see, the wages of sin is what? The wages, it is a payment. It is something that is owed to you. It is a wage. When you go to the, to the office and you spend a specific hours at work, what happens? Your expectation is that you will get a Some of us are hourly, some of us are monthly. You, you will get a wage. Why? Because you have put in those hours. They don't say, ah, we think you are so good, you didn't come to work, but we're just going to, uh, we're going to give you some X amount of dollars because you look good today. No, no office does that. The same thing with sin. It doesn't say, ah, I'm going to pity you. No. Because you have put in those hours, what happens? There is a payment. That you are a Christian doesn't excuse you from it. Amen? I know this, this one is not um, shout hallelujah. Yes, I know. That you and I are Christians doesn't excuse us from it. And I know a lot of us will say um, Jesus has paid the price. And indeed, yes, he has paid the price that we all might walk in liberty correct. But if you study the New Testament, you will find many places 
where though they were Christians, even Paul had to put someone, submit someone to the hands of the devil because he was doing something iniquitous. He took his father's wife and he said, how can you, being there, allow such a thing to happen? Me, where I am, I have already caused judgment. This was the man. This is the man, the same Paul, that people use to say, you can do anything. The same Paul. So I'm talking to your neighbor and say, my liberty is not for license. You see, when we go through the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, we have to allow the scriptures to work on us and to tell us the truth. Amen. lost. Another example is the expert witness of Christ Jesus. Amen. And we see him saying here in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 Matthew chapter 17 verse 5 This is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, when you look at Jesus you practically see the pleasure of God. That we are in Christ, we are the pleasure of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am the pleasure of God. And I know a lot of people will be like, okay, you are saying, okay, that I am accepted. I am the pleasure of God. Now you are saying, if I do something that there is judgment, okay, I am the pleasure of God. How do I understand this? How do I make it practical? It's very easy. See, the commandments of God are the perfect nature of God. What God has decreed, what God says about a situation is perfect. The Ten Commandments is perfect. Even Paul said, how would I have known sin without the Ten Commandments? The, the Ten Commandments is God's moral statute. It, it shows God's moral perfection. So if you want to know you are doing good, look at the Ten Commandments. But your justification does not come from the Ten Commandments. That's just the difference. My boldness is not what I have done. But I know I am doing good and honoring God by holding on to those things. But my boldness, my confidence is not those things. It's Jesus. That's the difference. So how do you know you are dishonoring him? You are not pleasing him. When you don't do those things, when you go against those things that he has decreed, So what has God said to you? What is his witness to you? And his witness to one person might be different from his witness to another person. I'll give an example. How many of us noticed that Abraham had just one wife? And in their culture, in their culture, it was morally acceptable for the servant of the wife to also produce offspring in the family. How many of us understand that? Now, for Abraham, it was a sin to have produced an offspring through Hagar. But for Jacob, there were 12 in the house, and it was acceptable, and they were the tribes of Israel. 
Why? Because God's word had gone to Abraham that the promise would come through. You see, what God's word, specific word now, for one person might be acceptable, but for another person, it might be terrible. So what is God saying to you? Now there is a standard. That standard is the Ten Commandments. And yes, it's not for you and I. That's not the basis by which we'll be judged. But we know perfection through the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses, we know that we don't even hold on to that one at all. Because there were 613 of them. I know, I, I don't know up to 20. So we don't even hold on to the laws of Moses. But we can hold on to the Ten Commandments as God, God's perfect instruction. But the question here is, what is God saying to you? What is God's witness to you? In your families, what is God's witness to you? In your children, what is God's witness to you? Are we looking at other people and saying, but God, look at what they are doing. Did God tell you to do that? Is that even bringing problem in your own home because you are comparing notes? What is God saying to you? Let us all go to Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 5 to 6. Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 5 to 6. And we also have God's expert witness of Jesus Christ himself. God's expert witness of Jesus Christ himself. Now if we open to Matthew, okay, if we open to Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 5 to 6. Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 5 to 6. He says, for to which of the angels did he say, did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. His testimony of Jesus was that he is his son. Amen. His testimony of Jesus is that he is his pleasure. Now, just because of the fact that um, the subsequent topics will be going deeper into some of this, I'm not going to press for that. But the next thing we're going to discuss is how does God testify to us? How do we receive God's testimony? How do we understand God's testimony? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 2. Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 2. He says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So we see here that God speaks, has spoken in the past by the prophets. He has spoken through creation. If you look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, he says that uh, 
Then God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So God is saying, if I want to talk to a people, if I want to communicate times to them, I would use times and seasons in the stars, in the heavens. So the heavens will begin to speak to you. You see, that's even the, the manner through which God spoke through, through the, um, the wise men from the east. They read the stars and then they followed the star and then they went on to where Jesus was born. And they gave him obeisance. They gave him gifts. So, right from the start, the father has said, let these things I'm creating in the heavens, let them be for signs and for seasons. Now, if we look at Psalm 19, Psalm 19, from verses 1 to 3. From verses 1 to 3. Let us read that together. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. I think that that doesn't communicate effectively. <laughs> I'll read verse 3 again here. He says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Amen. We see here that the psalmist is saying that the heavens preach. When you look at the heavens, there is a testimony that bears witness of God's desire, God's plan, God's purposes. The heavens preach his glory. And then he says the expanse of the heavens, the firmament on which the heavens sit upon, they display God's creativity, they display God's ingenuity, they show his handiwork. They show what God is capable of doing. They testify about how great and majestic he is. And then he says, each day speaks and each night reveals knowledge. So daily there is a revelation. There is a release of knowledge, a release of truth. And finally, he says that there is no language restriction, no language barrier. It is universal. What God says is universal. The preaching of the firmaments, the preaching of the heavens is universal. Now to the main focus of our scriptures. Psalm 19. From verses 7 to 9, 11. Psalm 19. From verses 7 to 11. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. I'll read my own version here. because The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. 
the law or instruction, the teaching of the Lord is perfect. That is, the nature of God's law is perfection. Whenever you compare it with what is perfect, you can find no difference. In fact, it tells you what perfection is. It gives you the definition of perfection. We, in our own mediocre mind, cannot, do not have a concept of what perfection is until we come in contact with what the law is. The law of the Lord. Now, let us remember, the law of the Lord is no longer written on stones, but written in your heart because you are a new creature. So, the perfection of God is inscribed upon your heart as his testimony for you and I. Now, when you think about that perfection, it's practically telling you that you, as a believer, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have come from the place of imperfection to perfection because the law of the Lord is written within you. But the recognition that you and I need is to accept that law and take it into practice. Amen. So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, so what he's saying there is when you receive the law, your soul is converted. Your soul is regenerated. Because your soul now sees what true perfection is. You might not have known what perfection was. But when you came in contact with the word, when you came in contact with the law, you knew. Why? Because there's a transformation. Now let us keep reading what he says in that scripture. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, he's saying, the testimony of the Lord, you can take it anywhere and it would be true. And it makes wise the simple. It brings wisdom. There is a conversion from ignorance to wisdom. When you accept the testimony of the Lord. Now, the structure of these scriptures, once you study them, there is, I think it, goes, it, it, it follows um, a Hebrew structure that's called synonymous parallelism. Practically, what that is saying is, they are all practically saying the same thing, but using different words. So when you are reading a verse, and you see the first statement, the second statement is, used, is practically saying the exact same thing as the first statement, but using different words to explain it. Amen. Now, what that means, what that means is this. When you look at verse 7, it's telling you the law or the, of the Lord is also his testimony. Amen. Can we have the scripture up? Since the instruction of the Lord is also the testimony of the Lord. Amen. So the law is his testimony. And likewise, the sign of the conversion of the soul is when you grow in wisdom. When you receive a growth in wisdom, you are, your, your, your soul is being converted. Amen. The same thing with verse 8. The statutes of the law are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The statutes of the Lord are practically his commandments. But for your heart to receive joy, there is a requirement for your eyes to be enlightened. How many of us have been in the place of darkness? A place where there is no hope. It feels like you have been 
unable to move. But then, when light comes, joy overwhelms you. You know that ah, my light has come. My day has come. And then you begin to rejoice. Why? The enlightening of the eye allows joy to flood your heart. And verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You see, it is only until you know the judgment of God that you will fear him. There is a requirement for us to fear the Lord. If you are here and you know you don't fear him at all, think about it. It will be hard for you to go into his presence daily knowing that you are going to do something that would offend him. Now, you might do something that would offend him if you don't have any fear at all of him. And I think that is something that is lacking in this time and this age. We've taken the fear of the Lord out. After all, your sins are forgiven. You can do whatever you want. God is still with you. God would only be with you if you hold on to his word and do what he says. See, I'll say this again. And in fact, let, let's read Joshua. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. In other words, I am not for you. And I am not for your adversaries. But I have come. Let's see what he says. He says, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, I am not for you. I am not for your adversaries. But I am for the Lord. And see Joshua's response immediately. Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? In other words, what do I have to do to make sure that we are for the Lord? So if you and I wake up and say, 
After all, Jesus has done it all. And then there are other things that he says that we should do and we refuse to do it. What do you think is waiting for us? His desire is for us to always be with him at all times. But there are requirements and there are things that he has witnessed. And the word of God says that God's word would never return to him void. It must accomplish what it has been sent to accomplish. And if we resist his word in our hearts, that means we are rejecting his testimony. I plead with you. I have to do what is right. That is why I have to say everything that I am saying. Because if we as a body will obtain a good testimony, we have to align to what God has said. It is not my idea. God witnessed to Adam, if you eat of this tree, in dying you will die. In dying, in dying you will die. In other words, there, is, there are layers and levels of death. So in the process of death, you will die. That was why his lifespan was not cut short immediately. It degenerated from 100 and 900 and something to what it is today. So it is the process of death that caused degeneration in the lifespan of man. In dying, you will die. Even Jesus, after he healed a person and healed another person, he would tell them, your sins are forgiven. Now you are well. What would he say next? Go and do what? Sin no more. His requirement for you and I is to do what? Go and do what? Sin no more. The judgment of the Lord is what instills fear. And if the Lord sees if he sees that we do not fear him, he would allow some... You see, I, don't, I can't say I know everything about God. I, I would be lying if I said so. In fact, don't believe me if I say so. <laughs> but what I, I would share with you is this. There are times that the Lord allows some things in our lives just so that we can recognize that there is someone that is mighty and has ability to do something. Even Jesus, even Jesus said, do not be afraid of the person that can only kill your body. But Jesus told you to be afraid of someone that can both destroy the body and the soul. Jesus, our Lord, said we should be afraid of that person. And then someone tells you, you can do what you want. Don't worry. It is okay. If 
believe we have ever made it to be so. Believe that is that has never been our intention. We must never take the word of God as flimsy. We must never look at the word of God as being the word of man. Yes, man can change anytime. I might come here and say something and tomorrow the Lord will say, Ah, Falari, what you said was very wrong. And then I might go and say, Ah, Father, forgive me. I might not come here and say, Father, forgive me. But I might have changed. So man is in a constant state of change. But what does he say about God? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. There is no shadow of turning in him. When he decreed something from the beginning, that has always been his desire. Utter perfection. What God desires from you is utter perfection. That's why Peter was saying, be ye perfect as the Lord in heaven is what? Perfect. But you cannot do it in yourselves. It is the law, the perfect, the perfect law that is in your heart, that has been written upon your heart by the Lord, that brings you into that state of perfection. But what is required for you and I is to yield to it. To yield to the functioning of that grace. The functioning of that power. Someone raise up your hands and say, I yield to the grace that is in the word of God. The truth is, I can preach from now to eternity. It is not something you can do by yourself. And that is the beauty of it all. It is only by the grace of God. The spirit of God is your helper. Someone raise up your hands and say, the spirit of God is my helper. But if you grieve him, you are practically saying, I don't need your help. We have to recognize that a total dependence on him is what brings us to that place where we can honor God through our actions. Because it is not okay for me to say I am saved, but my actions tell a different story. So if someone came to meet you and said, what are you saved from? What would be your testimony? Look at what he says in verse 11. It says, verse 11, and I'm rounding up. It says, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You see, the importance of holding on to the witness of God, I'm going to quickly rush through the importance, is that you are warned by him. You receive a warning and an instruction from the Lord. The second thing is that in verse 10, his witness is more important than riches. More important than riches. They are more valuable than riches. And is better than anything that appeals to the flesh. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this. It says, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. In other words, it is in his presence that you find true joy. And his presence, access to his presence to remain there is only found in the word of God. Hello? Access to remain in the presence of God is only found through obedience to his word. Let us quickly see Psalm 15. Psalm 15. I'm sorry, I, I just I think we need to we need to read this. Psalm 15. Verse 
and we're going to read the whole psalm. It says, Lord, who can dwell in your presence? Who can live? You see, it's one thing to ascend. For the ascension, I believe it's Psalm 24. But to live, to dwell, to dwell there. It says, who can live on your holy mountain? Let's go to verse 2, please. The one who lives honestly. Practices right. You see, it is a practice, not a confession. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, you are the righteousness. And what are you doing? Are your acts projecting righteousness? Is your witness to unbelievers righteousness? Can they see integrity in your speech? Integrity in your action? Who lives honestly? Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted with words? Can you be trusted with finances? Can you be trusted in, in positions of authority? Can you be trusted? Who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart? It is one thing for you to hear the truth. Do you acknowledge it in your heart? Please, let's keep going. Verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue? No, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor? And when they're saying neighbor, they're not saying the person that lives by your house or lives. In. Neighbor there is brother, sister. In the house of God, is brother, sister. In the families, is brother, sister. Who keeps his word, whatever the cost? He despises who despise. No, no, let's let's keep going, please. You're you're jumping, you're flying. Let's go back to verse, verse three. Let's go back to verse three. Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor? Verse four. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord? So if the Lord has given a witness about someone, that person does not even come near you. Because the Lord's witness has gone out. Remember, as iron sharpens iron, so does the countenance of one sharpen the other. When you accept someone that has been rejected, you are practically saying, Lord, I, I want to be rejected. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord. You see this fear thing. Fear. It is important. If you truly fear the Lord, if you truly love the Lord, you will fear him. There is no way. Because when you love the Lord, you will know him for who he is. And you will know yourself for who you are. And you will know the disparity. You will know that you are in a class that is not even considered his class at all. There is a distinction. To know him is to fear him. To fear him is to love him. If you see a man that fears the Lord, he loves the Lord. But honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word, whatever the cost. Verse 5. Who does not lend his money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent? The one who does these things will be unshakable. How many of us know that the church is unshakable? The true church. You see, you're not, you're not the church just because you say you are. You're the true church. When all these things are manifested in your life, then you are a witness. Because the church is an active witness of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming Jesus Christ, not just in word, but in deed. That's why Paul said, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you do it in the name of the Lord. So if you are doing something that is unrighteous in the name of the Lord, you are giving an ungodly witness. 
And God will not accept it. The one who does these things will never be moved. No matter what anyone says about that person, they would never be moved. What is God's witness of you? A simple way to do it, a simple way to do that analysis is for you to just take the scriptures and read it and say, am I going against what is here? Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you want to do good works, you hold on to the scriptures. It instructs you. It guides you. It rebukes you. But it takes you to the place where you do good works. Remember, you are not saved by good works. You are saved unto good works. Hello? You are not saved by good works. But you are saved unto good works. Why? Because it is for you to be productive, to be fruitful. Remember, when he created man, he said what? Be fruitful and multiply. When you got born again, when you were cre created, you are also expected to be fruitful and to multiply in the new nature of Christ Jesus. That is the call for discipleship. That's why he said, go ye into the world. That was the first thing he told his disciples immediately he rose up from the dead. So the same thing he told to the first Adam, he, told to, he used the last Adam to tell to his church, be fruitful. I should be fruitful. You should be fruitful. And we should multiply in fruitfulness. And when we read on verse 14 of Psalm 19, verse 14 of Psalm 19, It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Once you have been sharpened, once you have received the witness of God, the meditations of your heart will be corrected. There is a consistent transformation through time. And then the words that flow from your mouth would also be corrected. Amen. Why? Because you have spent time in the corrective nature of Christ Jesus. What is God's testimony about you? What is God's testimony about me? Remember, please, and if possible, write, write, it, write this down. It says, God's speakings, teachings, instructions, are preachings, are found in the scriptures, in his word. Hold on to his word that you might please him through your actions. You are saved unto good works. Amen. Amen. Can we all rise up on our feet? And let us...